The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Distributed them to those who were seated. 
which I will tell the truth, as much as I want to. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten it. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Picking up the first twenty-five. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his spirit. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. And they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, who gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord God. This morning, a familiar passage to many, will help us to have hearts and again hearts and minds ears that are open to that which you might teach us through your word today, God. Lord, we want to be people who are changed by your word, not as in the words of James, just to be hearers, but just to be doers of your word. Lord, we see in this passage this morning that it speaks about how we find eternal life. There could be nothing more significant, more important for us to know than this text. So teach us today. Now, the passage that we've got before us here in John 6, there are a couple of things that we need to, to particularly keep in mind as we, as we approach it. And that is that we need to, to put on, if you like, a first-century mindset. You know, living in the 21st century, we can t- tend to be so far divorced from, from the culture and the context of the day that we can really lose sight of, of some of the significant meaning of this passage. Remember that the first-century Palestine, first-century Israel, was an agrarian society. Okay? It was a society where many of the people would have been subsistence farmers. Now, what that means is that they, that people grew their own food. They, they grew the food in which, which, which they had their own as a family. And if they didn't grow food, they didn't eat. And if they didn't eat, they died. So these people, they depended upon this source of life that they had to grow themselves. The second thing we need to remember is that these people had a pretty simple kind of a diet. The bread being their staple food, their day-to-day food. Now, I think it, it can be a bit hard for us to get our heads around this because I know in my house we eat quite a lot of different types of food. And I'm sure you're probably the same. You know, when we, with our kids were growing up, if we had the same meal twice in a week or perhaps twice in a fortnight, we would get to cry, oh, I'm not this again. 
open that door. God did. But for the people living in Jesus' day, eating the same thing day after day was normal. And bread was the staple. In this culture, bread was essential to life. And it was in this particular context that Jesus makes this bold claim that he is the bread of life. John begins by telling us of the miracle, the miracle of Jesus in verses 1 through the 15. As he picks up the story, Jesus and his disciples, they've left Jerusalem, and we read that they've gone up into the northern regions of Israel again, up to the, the, the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. We read that in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And they're followed, we're told, by a large crowd of people who are following Jesus because of the signs and the miracles that they have seen him work, particularly the healing miracles. We saw one of those last week in John 5, where the healing of the man, the, uh, the paralyzed man at the pool in Jerusalem. Now, one of the things we also need to understand about this passage is this is one of the only two miracles, this is the only miracle outside of the resurrection, I should say, that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. None other, none, no other of Jesus' miracles outside of the resurrection are recorded in all four Gospels but this one. So I think this is something very, very significant in the earthly ministry of Jesus that all four Gospel writers saw that it is important to be recorded. In their, uh, in their accounts of Jesus' And from reading the other gospel accounts, we learn that, that Jesus had, had tried to take his disciples away to a secluded spot. You know, he'd been, his, he and his disciples had been ministering constantly to people who were coming to him in their droves, people wanting to have healing, wanting to, 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 to be near Jesus, to hear his teaching. And he'd taken his disciples away for for a bit of a, a rest, but of course to no arrival. Because the crowd sucked him down, and as Jesus sees him approaching, we read in this passage, as he lifts up his eyes, he sees this large crowd of people approaching him, and he says to one of his disciples, Philip, he says this, he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, some of the headings in, in, in the gospel says Jesus is feeding of the 5,000. Some of the other synoptic gospels say that it was Jesus' feeding of the multitude. What we do learn is that there were 5,000 men who sat down that day to be fed. That doesn't include women and children. So we're looking at a crowd well upwards of 5,000, possibly even as many as 15 to 20,000 people. That day, there on that doorstep, Jesus and his 12 disciples. Can you imagine a crowd the size of half of Sunset Stadium coming marching up the hill towards you, and Jesus turning to you and saying, Hey, where are we going to get bread to feed this morning? Not even 200 denarii worth of food, not even eight months' wages could buy enough food to even give this, this group of people even a, a mouthful. We read that Jesus had actually said this to Philip as a means of testing him, because Jesus sort of knew in his mind that he was going to say Lord, we don't know how to do this. 
can do that, we know it's because of the love and because of the forgiveness. You could have thought of the need before them, but completely denied the truth. But in rage could Andrew, another one of the disciples, in fact, Simon Peter's brother, brings a boy to Jesus who's got five small barley loaves and two fish. But even he believes that they are next to useless to do any good because he says, for here, here's this, here's this small amount of food. He says, we'll bring it to you, but what, what's this to say to anyone? I mean, it's not even going to stop the church. Jesus instructs the people to sit down and then giving thanks to God we are told for the food, he proceeds to have it distributed among the people. And everyone we are told has as much as they could eat and twelve basketfuls of leftovers are there. Everyone has as much as they could eat. And then they have eaten their fill Jesus told his disciples to gather up the leftovers and spread it on the people. It's interesting that they sell basketballs. Do you know how many disciples? Twelve. How long was Jesus making sure that the crowd was with the poor for the recovery of disciples? His disciples didn't use that. Jesus multiplied that small amount of food so that it met the needs of all the people in Denmark. You see, the lesson for us here is to be learned, particularly for his disciples, and we as Jesus' disciples today. But you know, despite our limited resources, and we're all aware of how limited those resources can be at times, can't we? Despite our limited resources, if we look to Jesus, Jesus himself has the power and ability to help us to overcome all kinds of impossible situations in our lives. Maybe even today you might be faced with an impossible kind of situation, or a situation at least that looks, you know, hopeless in many kinds of ways. Jesus reminds us this morning in the feeding of the 5,000 that he has the capacity to meet those needs where our, where, where our resources completely and utterly fail. I mentioned earlier about a couple of things we needed to be aware of when it came to this passage, particularly about the, you know, the, the importance of food in this particular culture. But there's also another aspect we need to keep in mind as we come to this particular passage, and it's the importance of the, of the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament background, if you like, concerning the, the history of the people of Israel, and particularly the importance of those Old Testament prophetic writings regarding the, the history of the people, but also regarding the, the, uh, the coming of God's kingdom in the sun. Back in verse 4, John reminds us that, it was the, that, that the feast of the Passover was near. Again, it just seems as though, you know, it's just a, 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 a few little words that John inserts into the passage, and it seems a little bit innocuous, you know, as we read through. But it's, 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 it's a way of John actually, you know, opening up people's eyes to this Old Testament background, particularly. Because the, the feast of the Passover was a particularly, uh, uh, in fact, an intensely nationalistic time in the Jewish calendar. It reminded the people of, of God powerfully rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt under Moses' leadership. For us, we could look at it today a bit like Australia Day or, or, or Anzac Day in, in the calendar where, where we see people's nationalistic pride for this country come to the fore. But in Jesus' day, the people of Israel were under Roman oppression. And they couldn't wait for God's Messiah to come and deliver them into freedom and prosperity. They themselves felt that like, they, they were just like the Old Testament people of Israel, under the yoke of slavery, under the yoke of oppression, and they just yearned 
to be released from that. And in seeing Jesus work his miracles, many of the people began to, 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 to think that the, 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 the rescuer had finally arrived. That he had finally come on the scene. And so in verse 14, we read that, you know, they, they say when they see the miracle, they see the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the one we've been waiting for. He's coming to It's alluding back to, to Deuteronomy 18, where Moses, where he says to, to the people, he says that God will one day rise up a prophet, raise up a prophet greater than himself. In verse, chapter 18, verses 15 to 18, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, a leader, someone to rescue you, someone to bring you out, bring you out of slavery. He will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. Jesus took sense that the people were starting to understand that, that he may be God's promised Messiah, but they didn't understand the kind of Messiah whom Jesus had come to be. And that's why, you know, when Jesus senses that the crowd is, is all of a sudden being whipped up into such a fervor that they, that they, they, they intend to make him king by force, they intend to if you like, start an uprising, a rebellion against their oppression with this miracle worker as their leader. They think, now's our chance. Let's make him king by force. And Jesus knew that that was not the type of rescue he had come to be and so he was war. He quickly refuses the situation. Again, it's a, it's a reminder to us today that Sometimes we can have in mind, we, we want to make Jesus the kind of king that we want him to be in our life. We want to try to, to dictate to God and to Jesus how we think he should work in our life. And we start to, to um, you know, judge God according to what we think is right and what we think is good and what we think God should do. And when God doesn't work in that way, we, we get angry at God. And we can sometimes, that can cause us to, to get disillusioned with God and even to turn away from God. But what we need to remember is that, that, that because Jesus is king, there can be no other king. That means you and I can't be king in our lives. Only Jesus can. And we need to submit to his righteous rule over our lives. And we need to submit to his perfect wisdom and understanding and knowledge. We need to submit and have faith in His perfect work and way in this world and in our lives. Can you tell us about the miracle of Jesus? What we then move into is the meaning behind the miracle in verses 25 to 35. You know, as we've seen throughout this particular preaching series in, in the, uh, the signs of the Son and John, the miracles that Jesus performed were meant to be viewed as, 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 as signs. Signs which pointed beyond themselves to something far more meaningful and significant. That they were meant to point people, not only the people in Jesus' day, but, but the readers of John's Gospel throughout history and us as the readers of John's Gospel today. They are meant to point us, not just to the works of Jesus, but to the true identity of Jesus as God's Savior and King. See, when the crowd that had been miraculously fed by Jesus, when they finally catch up with him again, he speaks directly to their wrong motivations in following him. We pick it up in verse 26 of our passage today. So 
in verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you. That word, truly, truly, it's a, it's, a, it's a grammatical kind of form which is meant to make us understand that what Jesus is saying is of absolute and utmost importance and truth. Okay, so it's, it's really stressing. It's like if it was typed, it would be bold, italicized, and underlined. Okay? And highlighted. Jesus is saying, truly, truly. Get this, people. You need to understand this. I say to you, Jesus says to the people, He says to us, You are seeking me because you saw signs, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. What Jesus makes clear to these people is that there are two types of food, two types of food that people work for in this life. When we say work, it's two types of food that that, that, that people go after, that they aim for, that they make, that that they're striving after for in their lives. And Jesus says, one of this type of food will ultimately perish, but the other results in eternal life. Now, these people, they have just eaten a meal that left them full of They couldn't eat another bite. Anyone been to a four you can eat restaurant before? Yeah? Remember as a kid, there was this a young a kid, I was a teenager at the time, there was this amazing seafood restaurant in Townsville. It was an all-you-could-eat seafood buffet. I guarantee that back in those days, the prawns were like this on your plate. And you'd go back, you know, for plate after plate of this seafood. Seafood doesn't quite match up, but hey, you know, that was what, I think that's what probably many of us are used to, aren't we? The sizzler all-you-can-eat buffet. Places where you could just keep going back and back and getting plate after plate of food until you thought your stomach was going to burst. And you're left feeling really, really uncomfortable, thinking, I'm never going to eat for a week after all of that. And yet the very next day, what happens? Your stomach starts sending out the hunger signal, doesn't it? I need more food. They were looking for just another free food. They were just looking for the all-you-can-eat buffet. They needed their physical hunger to be satisfied again and again and again. What Jesus was saying to these people, folks, you need to see the real me. You need to see your spiritual condition rather than just your physical condition. It reminds us that the material things that we all chase after in this life, these things are just reflective of that deeper need that we, that we try to satisfy with all this stuff in the world. But it ultimately leads to dissatisfaction. And if we're not careful, we'll finally see it first apart from Christ. This is what Jesus has given us here in this you know, Christmas is just around the corner, isn't it? Just remember what they got for Christmas last year. Can you remember? Can you think back that far? Perhaps you got something you were really hoping for and excited about. Something that you expected would bring you perhaps that, that sense of, of happiness and contentment. The thing is, though, I would envision to start with that, that shiny thing. And when I say shiny, not a new thing I'm talking about. That you've got last Christmas has already lost its appeal, hasn't it? Lost its appeal long ago. You've moved on. In fact, even today, there's something much nicer and more attractive on your wish list for this year. So often in your wish list, we can never have enough 
of materialism. You never actually have enough. You're never satisfied. We always want more. We always want newer. We always want bigger. We always want better. Why do you think people advertise stuff on television? Why do you think we're bombarded with ad after ad after ad? Whether it be on TV or on our, on our computer screen, just because people know that the advertisers know and the companies know that people have this desire to want more. And Jesus says that, that this is the path that will ultimately lead to perishing and destruction. Because we will never find peace and contentment in this stuff, particularly in the long term. And most of all, Jesus says it will lead us away from Himself and the eternal life that's only He offers. So, the people are doing this understanding Jesus. He says, them, you know, he says, you know, work for that, work for the food which doesn't perish, but for the food that endures for the test of eternal life. And the people say to him in verse 28, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What is the kind of work we need to be doing? Do they think that they can earn eternal life, that they can do something to earn this eternal life, to, to earn this particular bread that Jesus is? Is going to speak of. See, in their minds, they're thinking again of this, this works-based salvation that they can possibly do enough to earn God's favor, to earn God's forgiveness, to earn themselves a place in heaven. Jesus answers them by saying, This is the work of God. In other words, what God requires of you is this that you believe in Him. Whom he has sent. In other words, salvation, eternal life is secured not by works, but by faith alone. We cannot earn our way into God's goodness. Not like Sanders, nor do you nicely that we hear about this time of the year. We cannot earn our salvation apart from faith. And the one whom God has sent, and that is Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul, writing to the churches in Galatians, states in Galatians 2 16, he says, Yet we know that a person is this is what we know. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you think Paul could put it any clearer? He emphasizes it three times in one statement. We will not be justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus and to believe in Jesus. To have faith in Jesus is to believe in His true identity as God's Saviour King and to believe His Word is truth. The only truth. It is to believe that He is God and to believe that we are sinners under God's condemnation and wrath because of our sin. It is to believe that his death on the cross was a substitutionary death. In other words, he was dying in our place on the cross for our sins, bearing the righteous judgment of God, the righteous judgment that we deserve, he bore it on himself for us. Believing, we need to come to Him alone in repentance, turning away from our sin and instead turning to follow God and His truth. And in doing so, accepting His free offer of forgiveness and reconciliation. 
cannot hear the gospel any clearer today than that passage. You know, later in this passage, Jesus will tell the people that they are to, 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 to eat off him as the bread of life. And what he's saying to them is exactly this, that they need to take into themselves the truth of God, the truth about Jesus Christ. Like the bread they eat, they need to take that truth into themselves and for that truth to be worked out in their lives. And just a verse there that I said you know, when he says to them in their answer, what must the work be doing? Jesus says that you believe in him who he has sent. The people then say to him, what, what sign will you do that we may believe you? Can you believe these people? Or just being fed by the miracle of Jesus' hand, not, not just the day before, this incredible miracle of Jesus. Jesus has performed this, this amazing work in front of them and they say to him, they just hide to say to him, Jesus, what sign will you do that we will believe in you? Validate yourself. But folks, let's not be too hard on this people, right? Because aren't we such the same? How often do we Require God to continue to prove Himself to us over and over and over again. But we will refuse to believe until God gives us a sign. Also, He has given us His Son to accept. What more can He do for us? And to give His life as a ransom for us that we are fallen, rebellious, you know, people who thumb their noses at God, who, 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 who reject Him outright, that God would still come and, and send His Son to die on a cross for us that we might receive eternal life from Him. What more can God do? They even go so far as to suggest what sign they should give or that we should give them. And again, you know how think of the word, how ludicrous of us to think that we should dictate to God what he should do in order to earn our trust and our identity. They say you know, God gave us, God gave these people manna from heaven, just like Moses did in the, you know, in, in the wilderness. Give us this manna from heaven. And Jesus corrects the people by saying, you know, it wasn't Moses who provided the manna, but the Father. In fact, Jesus says, my Father. In verse 33, he says, the true bread of God is, is he who comes down from heaven and gives eternal life to the world. And the people replied, Sir, give us this bread always. Yeah, we want this bread. But do they really? Do they really want the bread? No, they just want their stomach filled. They don't truly want Jesus. They don't truly want His kingly reign and rule in their lives. Let's just look into the pre-revolutionary today. To be the one to meet their material needs. Right in the passage, we read that the people were blinded about him because he said that I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. Interesting, isn't it? That, um, you know, if you read through the passage, you said we haven't got time to have it because we've been in this for hours. Later on in the passage, you know, Jesus has got this incredible opportunity. The people are, are there ready to make him king. They're there to, to follow after him. You know, they're there to, you know, to, 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 to raise him up from the street. And what does Jesus do? He actually makes it 
instead of kind of, you know, accepting that and, 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 and going with, the, going with the, the flow of the crowd, what he does is he actually starts teaching, and the teaching becomes harder and harder and harder. It becomes, it gets more and more focused in on their motivations. It gets more and more focused in on their, on their desire, their heart's desire. It gets more and more focused in on this spiritual need that they have and, 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 and the people actually turn away from it. It doesn't sound like, you know, the, uh, the uh, response of, 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 of one of the, you know, the Jesus kind of charismatic leaders who just want this big crowd following him. Instead, Jesus gave this teaching that, that didn't draw a lot of people to himself, but actually turned a lot of people away. And we see that in our world today, that it's, as the, the, the Word of God is proclaimed, as the truth of the gospel is proclaimed, it gets hard for people to, to swallow. It's hard for people to understand. And it's not hard necessarily because of the fact that, you know, that the message is, 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 is difficult to understand. But the thing that, that drives people away mostly is because of the fact that they are unwilling to submit and bow to Jesus as Lord. That's what Jesus requires. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never be thirsty. It is the Jesus who gives us the money in my heart. For the Israelites to go without bread in the wilderness meant that they would die. But we get back to the Old Testament where with Moses, you know, God provided manna in the wilderness. If the people were to go without bread in that particular time, they would die in the wilderness. And so God provided the manna from heaven. But this bread only sustained them physically. The people in Jesus' day knew that without bread they too would die. And it was hard work to provide that bread for themselves. And so when Jesus miraculously provides them this free bread, they're drawn to him, but only for the bread itself. Yet the majority of the shepherds just did not want to believe him. They did not want to recognize him for who he was and to submit to him as Lord and King. And so what this passage forces us this morning, as the readers of John's Gospel today, as the, as the hearers of this passage, this passage forces us to consider ourselves, what is the type of bread we are searching for in this life, that we are striving after in our life? What is it that we truly believe will satisfy the deep longing of our spirits and our hearts? What is it that you believe will truly satisfy can I suggest that what you invest your most time and effort and energy and resources into, that is what you think will be the provider of contentment and peace and happiness in your life. We need to, to take a long, hard look at our lives and start to truly consider what is it we look to in order to, to provide us comfort, to provide us peace, to provide us security and, and joy and happiness and meaning and purpose and work. Because I would suggest, and, and I put myself in this basket, that there, that there are many times where the trappings of this world are the things which I want to invest more and more of my time and effort and energy into. That's the bread that I'm looking for. The things that come to us this morning and say, ultimately, this will never see And we know it, don't we? 
if the people in Jesus' day were wanting Jesus to give them more bread, we are always looking for that next meal, that next thing to fill our empty stomachs. Whether it be, you know, the, the nasty spiritual power, or the big food class, or the, the flashy power, or the, 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 the fancy candy class, or the you know, the, 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 the career that you earn just, you know, is good amounts of money. I'm not saying any of these things are things of life, but when they become our focus, when those things become that which we put our faith and trust in to give us this, then we've got it wrong. We've all got it wrong. Folks, I was once this person. As I know some of you also were, thinking that I could find everything in, in my possessions, in my relationships, in my status, in all the pleasures that this world had to offer me. That was where I thought I could find that which would satisfy. But ultimately, it left me empty. Like the writer of Ecclesiastes, he says, you know, we go after this or all this sort of stuff, but it's like a chasing after the wind. We think we have it enough, but the scripture And perhaps this is you now. It was only when someone took the time to point me to where the, the true life giving food could be found, they pointed me to Jesus, the bread of life. I picture it like this, you know, before I met Jesus, I was looking for my food in places that but I think now remind me of someone sifting through garbage bins, looking for some kind of, of morsel that, 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 that looks appealing at the time. But you know, anything looks appealing when it's garbage. Doesn't it? But then when I'm at Jesus, he showed me his sense of hope. His sense of hope is full. Yet sadly, I still find myself at times going back to the garbage. I've had it so hard about that. Essentially, Jesus comes to me at that time in his grace and in his kindness and in his mercy, and he invites me back to his table. Reminding me of his grace and forgiveness. And yet, even in that, I need to be careful. I think we all do. Careful not to love Jesus for what he did, but to love him and worship him for who he is. He's the glorious king. Even now, at the Father's right hand. The one for whom all things were created. And the one who will one day return and bring all of history to a complete And will leave his people in the everlasting glory. Jesus, is the one. We are called to come to him with him as the risen Christ. This is how he becomes to us our true Jesus. So what is it you're working for? What kind of bread are you working for? Is it really Jesus? Honestly, is it really Jesus? 
Wonderful words that you indeed are the bread of life and life of And we pray that you will help us to come to you this morning as the bread of life. To receive you as our life. To receive you as that alone can give us life and which will nourish and strengthen and uphold and sustain us in all of life, no matter what we can. So Jesus, we pray that you will help us when we are tempted by the things of this world to find our fulfillment and satisfaction and contentment in these things. Lord, that we will see them for what they Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.